Good morning. Man, what a cool song. Hey, Bree, can you do me a favor real quick? Can you put the, the chorus back up there? Maybe it's not the chorus. The bridge. Your love is deep, washing over me. Your face is all I see. I, I'd never heard this song before, and, uh, and but... I was just kind of reading the words. You know, sometimes when I was growing up in church, it was um, very easy just to sing a song, some because the words are on the screen or I was reading them out of a book and not really taking the time to, to think about what I'm singing or what I'm asking God and just telling God, you're my one desire, you know, seeking after you, you know, being my everything and, and just falling more in love with God is the theme of that song. And I, I hope you caught it. And um, I'm not saying you didn't. I just know that, Sometimes we're talking about temptations. I can be tempted just to sing a song and not come to reality that God's love is washing over us. He, he, he's brought us to this point, this point in time and this place just to bombard us with His presence and His love. And as we go through this series of temptations, this is why we're looking at it, because Satan, the enemy, wants you and I to, to not fall more in love with God, to not be aware of how much He loves us and be aware of His presence, to, to not experience that. And it can happen in church. It can happen in, in any aspect of our life. But, um, man, what a, what a cool song. I like it. I like it a lot. Um, so, uh, <laughs> uh, you can go ahead. We're, we're in Temptations. Uh, we started a series. We've got a couple more weeks we're going to be looking at this series, and one of the reasons is to understand that we are in a spiritual battle every day of our life. Um, every situation we find ourselves in is there's going to be that temptation. To be tempted is not a sin. Um, some people think that, but if you are tempted, that means you're human, okay? That means you're blessed with the, the gift of free will that God has given you. The sin is, is when we allow that temptation to entice us or pull us away from where God wants us to be, and then it causes us to sin, do something out of the will of God, which brings forth death. And we're looking at these temptations not only to understand Satan's battle scheme or his tactics, but also to understand how our Lord and Savior can relate with us. The book of Hebrews in chapter 4 says in verse 15 that we do not have a high priest, and speaking of Jesus as the high priest who is unable to sympathize or relate with our weaknesses, but one who has been tempted in every way as we are, yet he was without sin. And what that verse is telling us is we serve, we praise, we worship a God, we speak of a God who loves us and a God that we are called to love and show the love to people. That God is a relational God. He wants to relate to you. He, he wants you to relate to Him. That doesn't mean God stops being God and relating to you, but He wants you to know Him in a very intimate manner. And so throughout our, our, throughout our entire lifespan, that is our goal and our purpose, is to know God more and, and to uh, be more in His presence and to be more like Him. The battle that's going to rage in our life is that Satan doesn't want that to happen. The Bible is very clear that Satan's tactic is to kill, kill, steal, and destroy you. And since he cannot do that for eternities, if you are a child of God, if you accepted Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, he's going to do that in your abundant living, in the joy that would be complete and overflowing in your life that God promises his children. In living out God's purpose for your life, Satan wants to kill, kill that and steal that and destroy that. He wants to have God's people live in defeat rather than the victory that we've been given. 
We're going to be in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 4, if you have your Bibles with you. The temptations are recorded in all the synoptic Gospels, Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Mark just gives a brief mention of it. Matthew and Luke uh, give more details concerning it, but for sake of time, we're just going to be focusing in Matthew. And like I said, we're doing this series, and so we're going to be walking uh, through each and every temptation for the next several weeks. Uh, Last week, we set up some background, and this week, we're going to be looking at the first temptation and how we relate to what Jesus went through and how we have that battle going on in our life right now. Uh, We're going to begin in verse 3 of chapter 4 of Matthew. And it says, Then the tempter approached him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. And he, this is now Jesus speaking, answered, It is written, Man must not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. I want us to first notice, and we hit on this a little bit last week, but in case you weren't here, verse 3 says the tempter approached him. And the Spirit of God led Jesus to the, to the wilderness to be tempted, but God did not tempt Jesus. God does not tempt you and I. God simply leads us to places where we are allowed to live out our faith, and living out our faith brings trials and tests and, and forms of temptation to, to see whether or not we're going to trust God and we're going to be where God wants us to be. Now, another thing I want to point out, and you're going to hear again this for the next several weeks, if you were involved in Maker Fun Factory this last week, I want to say thank you very much, whether it was physically, spiritually, uh, however you were involved. Uh, man, what a great week. We saw a lot of great things happening, great attendance. We saw some salvations, God just moving in the kids' life, and it was awesome. If you were not able to attend any of the nights, every single night there was a theme. And as you can see, some posters are hanging on for dear life this morning um, around this room. You know, God made you. Uh, God will. Uh, I forgot that one. Is for you. That's a good one. God is always with you. God will always love you. God made you for a reason. So each night we had this emphasis, and, and Megan would be up here, and she would say the emphasis, and we'd have it in crafts and in, in games and in Bible story. We'd say the emphasis probably almost 100 times a night, and every time the kids would have a response, wow, God, I'm not asking you to have a response uh, this morning, but I do want you to see the emphasis that are placed in the temptations, and that comes by a very magical word that's two letters, and it begins with the letter I and ends with the letter F, and that is if. Satan comes to Jesus and says, if. Matter of fact, if you look in every single one of the temptations, if is found. Verse 6, if you are the Son of God. Uh, Verse 9, if you will fall down before me. The if tells us a very important thing, actually several important things. First, the if tells us is that Satan cannot make you or me do anything. I know there's a nice little statement we like to say, and, you know, the devil made me do it. And and I, I, I get that. But it's not biblical whatsoever. And it may sound nice. You know, we try to, you know, rationalize something we know we shouldn't have done. Well, the devil made me do it. But the reality is the devil cannot make you do sin. He cannot. If the devil could make you do sin, then you would not be guilty for your sin. And the devil wants you to be guilty for your sin. Because if you are guilty for your sin, then you're guilty before a holy God. You're guilty of judgment. So the devil does not force you. He, can, he did not come to Jesus and said, turn these stones to bread. He says, if, if. The word if is meant to call into question. It is, it is almost a taunt. It's, it's almost like a double dog dare. It's, it's to cast a doubt. And the devil's been doing this since Genesis chapter 3 when it comes to original sin. And what I want us to see is the devil has no new battle plans. He just kind of simply changes the approach. He wants us to doubt who God is. He wants us to doubt what God has said, what God wants for our life, how we're supposed to be living that out in our life. And a lot of times when we fall to the if of the temptations, 
when we get to that point where we have... Uh, we are being lured and enticed away from God. What we do instead of running towards God and being where God wants us to be, we instead seek things in the world to give us some sort of temporary fulfillment. We, we, we get that temporary rush. It's why people struggle with drugs or struggle with alcohol or, or struggle with some sort of addiction, whether that is uh, drugs or shopping or food or whatever. It's because we want that temporary fulfillment. And that's what temptation lures and entices to do instead of taking us to the eternal God, the God who does not change, the God who fills us completely to overflowing. If you also notice there in verse 3 what Satan comes to do, the very first thing that he brings out is, he says, if you are the Son of God. We need to understand that the devil is not equal with God, okay? He is not on equal standing ground to God. He is not all-knowing. He is not all-powerful. Uh, he, is, he is not going to be eternal. He will eventually come to an end. Matter of fact, the devil knew who Jesus was because the Bible tells us that Jesus was there in the beginning and that all things were created by him and through him. So Jesus actually is, a, is the creator of the devil, he is the creator of the demons. And Satan knows who he is. He's fully aware of his powers, fully aware of his characteristics and his authority and his equality with God. But what he is doing is revealing to us in Scripture is he is calling into question the very word of God. If you go back in chapter 3, the very end of chapter 3 is Jesus' baptism. And when Jesus comes out of the water, what does God say to him? What does he proclaim? This is my son with whom I am well pleased. Some translation says, this is my beloved son. It's a proclamation from the heavens that God the Father proclaimed upon his son. The gospel of John lets us know it wasn't just for Jesus, but it was all those who were at the river that day heard this proclamation. And so what is the very first temptation that Jesus has when he comes into the wilderness? If you are the son of God. You see, Satan wants us to doubt the word of God. That's part of the temptations. He wants us to doubt God's word as the authority over our life. He wants us to doubt the trustworthiness of God's word concerning our life. Satan wants us to doubt what this says and if it's really relevant to my life. And do I really have to do that? Is that really a big deal? Is it really necessary that I you know, live after Christ and I pursue after him and seek him first and I, and I share my faith and evangelize? Because if Satan can get us to doubt the word of God, then he can get us to doubt anything we should ever do for God. This is why a lot of churches are struggling. We honestly feel like we are still in control. We honestly feel like we're still in charge of our life. But just think about a second. How much are you really in control over? Did you tell your mommy and daddy when you should be born? That's an awkward conversation. You did to choose when you're going to die? You shouldn't. Do you need to control how the weather's going to be? Do you need to control how fast traffic's going to be in the morning? Do you need to control how fast the checkout line's going to be when you go in? Do you need to control even if you, when you order food, that it's going to be exactly how you ordered it and how you want it, and it's going to be exactly what you thought it would be? Matter of fact, the only thing we actually have control over is probably the TV remote and the radio station. Even then, sometimes they go out. There's, there's this false belief that we actually are in control of our life and since we think we're still in control and we're still in charge when God's word comes upon our life and gives us direction comes upon our life and and takes us to a place that God wants us to be we want to fight back the only reason we want to fight back with the word of God is because we don't fit into the word of God at times and so the temptation is did God really say that 
Well, that's exactly what, what Satan did to Adam and Eve in the garden in Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. He comes to them and says, did God really say you shouldn't eat of the tree? See, Satan wants us to doubt. And in particular, he wants us to doubt the word of God, its authority and whether we can trust it. But a foundational truth to Christianity. If you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn. We're going to come back to Matthew so you can keep your finger there. But turn to 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 through 17. I just want us to hone on this passage and another one out of 2 Peter real quick. Verse 16 and 17 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, Paul is led by the Spirit and he writes this. He says, all Scripture, every, all of it, from the cool stuff that we love to the boring stuff we want to skip over. I mean, I don't see anybody running to numbers and like, yes, I love numbers. You know, we don't, there's some books in the Bible that we just, we don't enjoy. But Paul was led by the Spirit to say all of it, all of it is inspired. Some translations said it is breathed out by God and is profitable. It's profitable for teaching, for rebuking, for correcting, training in righteousness. Why? So that the man of God and that word man in the Greek means the individual. It's not just speaking about males. But the individual of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. That's what God wants for your life. But the only way you and I can live that out of my life to be complete and equipped for every good work that God has assigned for us in this life is that I have to have a faith in the word of God that it is spoken by him. If you want to turn with me to 2 Peter real quick. 2 Peter in chapter 1. In verses 20 through 21, Peter's writing to a group of believers who are struggling because they are being persecuted. And he's telling them that they need to keep to the scriptures and keep to the testimony that they have shared concerning Jesus Christ. And in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 20 through 21, Peter's led by the Holy Spirit says, Above all, you know this. No prophecy of Scripture comes from the prophet's own interpretation, meaning nobody has made this up. This is not a figment of someone's imagination. We didn't all just get together in the upper room and say, you know what we should do? We should write some really cool stories and see how long they last. He says, but we need to understand that the prophecy, it never came by the will of man, verse 21. Instead, men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. What's that, what that's telling us is this, this book is unlike any other book in the world. We call it a holy Bible because it represents God who is holy. We call it the Bible because it's a collection of books. And it's spoken from the mouth of God, given to men, and they are like his, his microphone or his speaker where they recorded exactly what God wanted to say, exactly how he wanted to say it, exactly when he wanted to say it, so that we could have it 2,000 years later and be able to understand how God wants us to live as his people to be godly people in this world. See, God's goal for your life and for my life is that we are separated from this world. But if I look at the Word of God and look at it as just a book or something that is irrelevant or something that is, you know, I, I may have to do that. I mean, if, it, if it's a choice, then it really has no authority over my life. And I really don't trust it. And so the temptation is, do I and am I going to trust the authority of the Word of God or am I going to doubt it? Now, I understand there's things in God's word that are hard to hear. There's things in God's word that, that hit my feet, hit my heart, that make me feel like I'm lower than dirt. 
But God is still doing a good work in me. And He still is doing a good work in you. And even though I may not fully aligned to everything in here, I know God is continuing to mold and shape me and transform me more into His likeness rather than into the world. But the temptation is to, to quit. To not allow God to do what He wants to do in your heart. When we do that, we, we doubt that we can actually trust God. Yeah, did God really say that? Is, is that really that big of a deal? See, you look in Scripture... Jesus never promises that his followers are going to have it easy. Never. Matter of fact, he promised his disciples, you're going to have trials. You're going to have tribulation. Of course, the promise also followed, but fear not, I've overcome them. He promised those who, who proclaim his name and seek his righteousness are going to be persecuted. But that in those persecutions, we should find joy because we're, we're living the way God created us to live and called us to live. He, he told us we're going to be tempted. He told us we're going to be tried. He told us we're going to have the testing of our faith. The issue is today is that so many people have bought into lies that sound biblical, but really have nothing to do with God's word. And they're trusting in those lies, those deceptions. And so when they hear the word of God and encounters that, they begin to doubt. Here's what God's word does not say. God's Word does not say you should live your best life now. God's Word does not say that. Matter of fact, your best life will not be lived until you see God face to face in eternity. So when you don't have a good day, ah, welcome to the club. That doesn't mean something's wrong with you. Just That's part of life and that's part of living in faith. Here's another one. God wants you to dream big and go for those dreams. Sure, if you're dreaming big is I want to reach as many people for the kingdom of God before I die. If that's your big dream, I want to share with every single individual that comes in my life. I want to show Jesus Christ to every individual in my life. That's your big dream. Then yes, God will bless that. But if you're dreaming big as a matter of worldly success, do you think God cares about that? you think God cares when you die how much money you have in your retirement package or how much money you have in your checking account? No. God wants you to give Him your best that your life would be focused on Him. How about this one? You know, if you do the right thing, good things will happen. Tell that to Peter, Paul, Jesus, and original disciples and see what kind of reaction you get. They did the right thing, and they were persecuted for that. If you do the right thing, here's the reality. Satan is out to kill, steal, and destroy you. And when you start living for God, he's going to come to disrupt that. He's going to do it through, through temptations to come in your mind, your heart. He's going to do that through people in your life that are going to bring you down. He's going to do that through coworkers, through experiences, through situations. The moment you decide, you know, I'm going to do this for God, Satan's going to try to put up a roadblock to make you doubt, should I actually be doing this? Should this really be that hard? Should I, should I, maybe, I, maybe I heard that wrong. Well, if you're in the Word of God and you're allowing God to speak to you from His Word, then you know it's truth. This Word is truth. It is perfect. There are no contradictions. There may be things in here we don't understand. There may be things in here that don't always make sense. And there may be things in here that are really hard for us to live out. But it's there that we can draw closer to God. See, God's desire for you, as we sang that song, is intimacy. 
God created you and me for a relationship with Him, a loving relationship, because God wants us to relate with Him and with people. So the question when we are asked, man, do I really need to do that? Do I really need to respond to what God has placed in my heart? Do I really, God has told me I need to be involved in this or I need to share my faith with this person or I need to do this. God has told me and it aligns with his word and that question comes, do I really need to do that? That's not God giving you and I an excuse not to be obedient. We need to understand that. God doesn't give us an excuse for us not to live out his word. What happens is Satan comes and asks, did God really say that? And the reason he wants to do that, because Satan does not want you to draw closer and deeper to God. So the real question is, when it comes to living out the word of God, is do I want to get more intimate with the Father? Do I want to draw closer to his presence? Do I want to look more like him every single day? That's the real question as Satan blinds us all to. That's where God is taking us. That's where God wants us to go. But again, if I'm doubting the word of God, I'm not going to do it. Now get into the actual temptation. What is it? Well, verse 3 of Matthew chapter 4 says, If you are the Son of God, then tell these stones to become bread. See, the devil is trying to throw this this first jab and trying to trash talk Jesus, which isn't going to go well for him. But here's what what the, the point of this temptation is. The devil wants Jesus to doubt his purpose for his life. Just like the devil wants you and I to doubt the purpose that God has for our life. If you look, Jesus in verse 4 counters this temptation with the Word of God. But it would stand to reason if He is the Son of God, if He is equal with God, if He does have the power of God in Him, then He should be able to do whatever He wants and no one should be able to tell Him what to do or how to do it. If he is truly the Son of God, this is what Satan is calling into account. If you are Him, then prove it. Prove yourself to me. But Jesus did not come to prove himself to the devil. He did not come to prove himself to the world. He came to make God known and ultimately die for the world's sins. That's Jesus' purpose. And Jesus knew that purpose, but the counter was, are you going to live out that purpose or are you going to fall to the temptation? I mean, Jesus is hungry. He does have the power of God. This is definitely a temptation. He's 100% God and 100% man to turn stones into bread. And if you notice what Jesus quoted, it comes from the Old Testament passage. It comes from Deuteronomy chapter 8 and verse 3. And the word of the Lord says in Deuteronomy 8, 3, He humbled you, this is speaking to the Israelites, by letting you go hungry. And then he gave you manna to eat, which you and your fathers had not known, so that you might learn that man does not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. This is the passage in which Jesus quotes when Satan comes to him and says, hey, why don't you turn these stones to bread? Why? Because the context of the passage that Jesus quotes in Deuteronomy is God's people have just come out of Israel. They just come out of bondage and slavery and they were learning how to live for God. They were learning who God was and what God wanted them to do. And if you're familiar with any of those stories, you know that they grumbled a lot, they complained a lot, and, and they, they argued a lot. And so God continued to, to discipline them, but he also continued to bless them. And the purpose was he wanted God's people in the Old Testament to fully rely and trust that God would provide for all their needs. And so what Jesus is saying here, Satan says, can you turn these stones to bread? Surely you can if 
you're the son of God. He says, man does not live on bread alone, but on the very word of God. What he's stating is that my purpose isn't to, is, isn't to show my power right now. My purpose isn't to try to prove myself to you. My purpose is to make God known. And to do that, I have to fully rely upon the word of God, fully rely upon the commands of God, fully be obedient to it, humble myself to become the lowest of servants so that I show that I'm living for him. This is what God wants for our life. He wants you and I to fully rely upon Him. And we pray, Lord, give us our daily bread, that we're actually going to wait for God to give us our daily bread. That we're going to fully trust Him. That we're going to humble ourselves to a place where we'll allow God to do whatever He wants to do in our life. Jesus is also stating with this, this comment from Deuteronomy, that he trusts God, that if God can take care of an entire nation in the wilderness for 40 years, surely he can take care of him, one man, in the wilderness for 40 days. It was completely relying upon God. Jesus knew, you look in verse 1, that God led him here. And God sent him to this earth to be an atoning sacrifice. And God has a plan. And Jesus knew that plan. He was about that plan. So we have to understand God has a plan for our life. He has every day, every moment, every millisecond of our life written in his book. He has a purpose for our life. And sometimes that's not always going to be easy to get aligned to God's plan and God's purpose because of the temptations that come to pull us out of that. But when we do that, Satan is trying to steal your joy. He's trying to steal your abundant life that you're promised in Scripture. Satan wants you to doubt. The ultimate question comes down, can I trust God's word? Can I trust God's word? From Genesis to Revelation, can I trust it? Timothy Keller writes in his book, Reason for God, that the Christian faith requires a belief in the Bible. I mean, I have to trust that it is God's word. I have to trust that God oversaw it over all these years. I have to trust that it does have authority over my life. I have to trust that God does know what he's doing. Isn't it funny that we will trust God for eternity? Eternity. Think about that. Eternity. We will trust God for eternity, but we struggle to trust God for the 80 to 100 years we have in this lot. But that's what God's calling us to do. If we can trust God for eternity, then we can trust God that He knows what He's talking about when it comes to our life as we live here. And He has a great plan for it. Final thing I want us to see that Satan is calling in a question that he does in our life. He says, if you are the Son of God. And this isn't the only temptation Satan does that. But the devil wants you and me to doubt our identity. The Bible says that in Genesis chapter 1 that we are made in the image of God. That God formed us. He breathed the breath of life into us. That, uh, that Psalm says that we are remarkably and wonderfully made. Why? Because we're made in God's image. We're made to represent God and, and to shine God's glory and be about God's work and, and God's advancement on this, on this earth. But how many people here today and how many people do you know struggle with their physical identity? We look at other people and we compare ourselves, well, I'm not good enough, or I don't look good enough, or I don't have enough money, or I don't dress in the right clothes, or I don't have the, the best whatever. And we struggle with our, our identity by our looks. And that's what Satan comes to tempt you. 
comes to wear you down and, and drag you down and make you feel defeated, make you feel worthless. But the Word of God speaks the truth. You are remarkably and wonderfully made because God the Father made you. He knits you together in your mother's womb. The problem is, is too many people are turning to the world for their identity instead of turning to the truth, the eternal truth of what God has already stated about you before you were born. You're beautiful or handsome, however you want to take it. And God looks at you with love. Another way we can doubt our identity is within the church. We say, well, you know, they're, they're the deacon or they're the elder. He's the pastor or, you know, they're really gifted at teaching, so they should do the work. You know, I, I can't do anything. I, I'm just not gifted enough. But if you're a child of God, you've been given the spirit, which means you've been given the ability to bear fruit and have spiritual gifts inside of you for the church, for the body. No matter your age, no matter your gender, we're all here for a purpose, and that's to glorify God by working together. You may not be called to preach. That's fine. You may not be called to teach a Bible study. That's fine, but God has brought you here for a purpose. Maybe you're a great singer. Maybe you're great with kids for a couple hours, but after that, it's done. Well, we only go a couple hours most time with kids. Maybe you're good with students. Maybe you're a person who has a heart to open your home to people and just be, and show the gift of hospitality. Maybe it's some other means. But the devil wants you to doubt your identity that you cannot do anything for the kingdom of God. You cannot do anything to empower the church. But hear this promise. His divine power has given us everything required for life and godliness. That power that lives inside of you, God has given you that you have everything that is required to do what God has called you to do. Satan may be coming at you and, and tempting you and making you doubt your identity in Christ. He, if you're like me, he likes to bring up my, my past mistakes and my past sins. He, he, oh, he does it at the most awkward times. I'll be driving the car and I'll be like, and just that moment, it hits me. And I'm thinking, well, what was I thinking in that moment? And, and he wants to pull me back into that sin that has been completely paid for. I've been completely forgiven for. I'm now clothed with the righteousness of Christ, but if he can get me to live in that regret, you know what he's going to do? I will live in defeat. And there's a lot of Christians in a lot of churches that are living in defeat because they have this thing in their past, like, well, you just don't know what I did, Pastor. You don't know what's back there, Pastor. You don't know. If you knew, you, you would probably tell me to leave the church. But here's the truth of God's word. It says that we, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. See, the new has come. If anyone is in Christ, the old has passed away. That means it is completely gone. God no longer sees you as that. So God does not come to you and say, hey, remember that thing? I'm still going to hold that against you. No, God sees you covered by the blood of the Lamb clothed in the righteousness of Christ, stainless and purified, all by your faith. That is Satan coming at you and me, trying to get us to fall back into regret, trying to get us to be quiet about our sins, because sometimes if Satan can do it, we won't share our faith, because like, man, I can't share my faith, because you know, if people knew where I came from or what I did, or, and sometimes Satan comes in the same ways and we don't share our faith because, oh, I'll say the stupidest things. Or, you know, that's why we pay the pastor. He's the one that goes out and shares his faith. That's why we ordain deacons and ordain elders because they're supposed to do that. But the Word of God says we are ambassadors for Christ since God is making his appeal through us. 
So as a child of God, if I've been saved by Jesus Christ, God is making His appeal or He desires to make His appeal through us by words and actions that people can come to know a God that loves them just as we have come to know a God that loves us. There's a final temptation that some of us may be facing this morning when it comes to our identity. And I've ran into this time and time again, um, just sharing the gospel with people as I encounter, and in church as well. And the temptation that Satan brings is that, well, I'm, I'm a pretty good person. You know, I'm not as bad as them, and you know, I try to do the right thing, and I try to do good, and I work hard, and I'm a good father, I'm a good brother, I'm a good whatever. I, I just try to do my best. And Satan allows people to rationalize that because I can try to show some sort of earthly merit that I don't need eternal security, that that's what's going to get me. Here's the truth. The Bible says all of us have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. All of us. We are all a spiritual mess. And the wages, the cost of our sin is death. And that death there spoken of in Romans 6.23 means eternal separation from God. The Bible says it's not by works, so any man may boast. It's nothing I can do on this side of eternity. I can go to church my eternal life, or my, my whole life here, and still end up in hell. I can even be a member at a church and still end up in hell. If I'm relying upon my own merit before a holy God. The promise goes on in Romans 6.23, the cost of sin is death, separation from God, but the free gift is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. It's a free gift not by anything you or I can bring. It's everything that's already been done for us, and it's a gift. God holds it out and asks, will you accept it? That doesn't mean you have to have it figured out. That doesn't mean you have to have your life all together. That doesn't mean you better start attending church more often. That's still you. It's completely relying, trusting in Jesus, and humbling yourself before the Father, which is what God created you for. That's your purpose. Your purpose is to be in a relationship with God, and it begins by trusting God. That's your, our purpose as a church. Jason mentioned earlier, we are called to love God and love people. I don't know where everybody is this morning, but I can tell you this. We have all fallen to temptations this week. And I know there's something in here that clicked, and you understood why. So God is calling us, are we going to trust Him in this moment? Are we going to respond? Are we going to be obedient to what He's calling us to do? Maybe it's a temptation that we've been battling for years and we just need to lay down before the Father. Or maybe here this morning and you need to stop trusting in yourself and you need to trust in the God who loves you. Jesus said, no one comes to the Father except through me. So we come to a time of invitation. If you know you have yet to accept Jesus Christ, your Lord and Savior, you are fighting these battles alone. Are you ready to bow before the Father, accept Him as the Lord and Savior of your life, and have someone who's already won the battle. I'm going to ask the worship team to come on up as we pray.